So Rock and Roll Nightmare was written by John Mickle Mickle Thor. Yes, and produced by John Michael Thor and starring <laughs> John Michael Thor and <laughs> everything by John Michael Thor. Did, did you look him up at all on the internet? I know that he's a musician and a bodybuilder who has won both Mr. USA and Mr. Canada. Yeah. John, I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's John Michael Thor, John Michael Thor, but John Michael Thor, better known as Thor, is a bodybuilding champion, actor, songwriter, screenwriter, historian, vocalist, so and musician. So many hyphens. Holy crap. This guy, this guy has got it. Whatever it is, he's got it. The only thing he can't do is emote on camera. You know, <laughs> that's a low blow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. This this movie is not about emotion. This movie is about charisma. And John Michael Thor has it in spades. <laughs> On that note, let's rock and roll. That's how I should have said it last time. <laughs> This is Necromancer. Necromancer. Yeah, I hope that that had some rock and roll sauce on it. But <laughs> I mean, everybody knows that I'm a bastion. I'm no Atreyu. Uh, <laughs> my name is Shira, and I am a fan of romantic comedies. My name is Brett, and I am a fan of horror movies. Each week here on Necromancer, Brett picks a horror movie and I pick a rom-com. Then we switch those movies around. We turn the rom-com into a horror and the horror into a rom-com. Today we are continuing the theme of rock and roll movies with Rock and Roll Nightmare. So it was between this movie and The Green Room, I think, right? Yes. (laughs) Was Was it the puppets that swayed you? Uh, honestly, it's because I do try to, you know, I try, I try to do a good balance of movies that I love, movies that I've never heard of, older movies, newer movies. And so I just felt like Green Room, uh, I, I just didn't want to do Green Room. I, I probably feel like there's probably a, a bunch of podcasts out there that you can listen to that are, are all about Green Room, but that's Rocking true. And Green Nightmare? Room doesn't have an Archie bomber jacket in it. Yeah, but Rock and Roll Nightmare, I just I I went on to Google <laughs> and I did my research. I just typed in. I mean, sometimes it's very hard to do your research when it comes to horror movies specifically because if you type in 10 horror movies about bands, you get like an offshoot of like 10 heavy metal soundtracks in bands and I'm are in movies. Mm. I'm like, no, I don't want I need the band to be an essential part of the movie. Um, And so I I just read a bunch of top 10 lists. There were a couple options that kept popping up, but Rock and Roll Nightmare kept consistently popping up. So I watched a few of the trailers for a few of the movies, and Rock and Roll Nightmare kind of had the best cheesy 
like em- they embraced the cheesiness of it, but also the soundtrack was kind of like, all right, yeah, the song, the song in the soundtrack is the main song of the movie or in the trailer, and it's all about how all we want to do is rock and roll. So that's true. The songs are very simply about rock and rock and roll, rocking and rolling, just. Yeah, so I I don't know. I took a chance on this one. I thought it was going to be kind of a dud, but I ended up having an absolute blast with this movie. I thought it was super fun. I did laugh a lot at this movie, but I also was not particularly enamored with the (laughs) acting or the style. I thought the puppets were great. I'm all about the puppets. Well, so Same yeah, thing with Thanks Killing, I love the puppets. There's a little. I mean, I don't, I don't want to spoil this quickly into the podcast. So if you haven't seen Rock and Roll Nightmare and you want to go in unsullied, uh, turn off the podcast now. This is your last warning. But go watch the movie and <laughs> then come back. There's a twist later on in the movie about the characters and stuff like that, that, that reveals why maybe they are a little flat. However, a lot of these characters are doing double duty. So they're not only playing the goody two shoes band version of themselves, they're playing the evil jerk versions of themselves. They did get better at acting when they were demons. Yeah. So I thought that, you know, again, I could very clearly tell based on the very little that I read about it. And the fact that John Michael Thor's name popped up a bunch and the fact that he is, he wrote a movie where he is the star of the movie but it's like that always he, goes well. He got his friends to make a movie with him. You know what that I mean? That is very much what it felt like. He got his friends to make a movie with him, and and unlike Larry Fessenden, he's <laughs> not friends with uh, what is it, Kelly Reichardt, right? Who's became a world famous director. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just I loved the 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 sort of sweeted type do it yourself type DIY energy of this movie. And um, yeah, I, I just, I ate it up, man. You would, <laughs> <laughs> you would now this, this was a Brett movie. I felt like this movie was kind of a little bit like motel hell in how it's just being goofy with itself um, but also it reminded there me there were some parts that were just just kind of dragged on I'll, I'll mention it reminded me go. of um, Black Christmas which is a movie that's like I like Black Christmas a lot more but it's a movie where the director took the premise of the movie and just really directed the hell out of it using the budget that they had some of the evil dead Sam Raimi cam that they had going on in this movie was freaking nuts. Like this camera flying all around. I don't know about that. Yeah, it, you it mean like the, the scurry, the scurry cam? Scurry cam. Yeah, that was great. And some of the visuals. Scurry cam, and, not so scary. I don't know, man. I thought that this movie was just pure charm, pure charisma. It, it wasn't scary, but it was, it, it was, they didn't go, okay, this is how... They didn't say, okay, we're making a low-budget movie, so we're just gonna... We're just gonna, like... Yeah, it's low-budget, whatever. We'll do our best. They were like, no, we are determined to make this a movie that's gonna be on top 10 lists on the internet in 40 years from now. Like, we're gonna make something special. 
and people will find it and people will come to it. And I, I just, the, the charm and of this movie people is Brett. Yes. That people is me. <laughs> I am people. Um, but yeah, also I did I name it. myself on the squad cast recording as bub in honor of this movie. Yeah. Beelzebub. I liked how he kept calling him bub. That was so great. And Canadians do Canadians use the nickname bub more than, uh, Americans. I think that feels like a very Canadian thing. Uh, I think I, I've mentioned letter Kenny to you and, and Sonia before, but if you haven't yeah. watched letter Kenny, you gotta watch Letter Kenny because it's very Canadian. And Wolverine, uh, Wolverine always says "bub." Oh, I didn't remember bub. that. Uh, so, yeah. should we get into this summary? I cannot wait. So we open up on this average middle class family in their farmhouse. Um, mom, dad, and a boy. Mom opens the fridge. And sees something in there that makes her scream. Dad comes down to see what's the matter. And then he's taken by the monster puppet in the oven. And the kid's fate is unknown. And then sometime later, we're not sure how much later, a band decides to rent the farmhouse to record their next album without the distractions of the city. Um, there's some tension though, between the band members and their girlfriends slash wives. Um, but they, you know, they get through their first recording session pretty successfully, but then. Well, also why would they be there? Well, first of all, other bands have recorded their super famous bands. Right. But I love, mm-hmm. I love the pure amount of silliness that happens right away. I love when the manager says, Hey, there's a piano bed up there. Does that mean it has keys? No, it doesn't have keys. Yeah, well, neither do I. Give me the keys to the house. And when Thor is like, hey. That was very is... silly. Yeah, it was. that was legitimately good dialogue. And when Thor really? is like. Really? You thought that was better than Josie and the Pussycats? I thought that that line specifically, yes, was like, hey, the, it's got a piano bed. Does it have keys? No, neither do I. Give me the keys. Because he wants the keys. He wants to impress the band. He wants to get the band moving. And yeah, it's a great. Uh, you see the you see the piano bed later and it is tiny. Well, so, but then we have John Michael Thor and he's like, hey, uh, this is the perfect because all the other band members are complaining. And the one lady's complaining. This isn't the Four Seasons or whatever. Yeah, and he's like, Lillian hey. Yeah, is not into it. Yeah, he's like, hey, there's nothing to break our concentration. Everyone has their own room. We need the practice because last time you were playing a completely different song. And if we don't record this, we're going to lose our advance. All of that right there. It's all business. Yeah. that All that right there gives you all the motivation you need for them to pump out these jams. Yeah. I mean, even with the third act twist, and you know how I feel about these <laughs> kind of twists, even with the third act twist... I, it felt like they did one take with these people in that first scene. And it, it's like, it kind of feels like the director who's John's friend probably was like, this is fine. Uh, and then it also probably was like, Hey, we're shooting on film. 
and we've we don't have the that was like a um, that could be a thing yeah robert rodriguez with uh el mariachi he only did one to two takes for each thing because he didn't have the money to spend on film not only do you have to buy the film you have to shoot it properly and hope it comes out right and you have to pay to get it processed that's that's Mm. a lot of work that does sound like a pain yeah no i i feel for them in that way so they they get through the recording and then Phil, the manager, goes to find some extra drumsticks for Stiggy. Uh, <laughs> I do like that name, Stiggy. Uh, and then it looks like uh, Stiggy's girlfriend, Luann, has followed Phil outside so she can hook up with them. But then while they're kissing, she turns into a scary monster and bites him. Ouchies. Yes, she bites him on the shoulder. And then Phil disappears, and at first John seems really anxious about it, and he's really worried. Uh, And it seems like his girlfriend Randy either wants him to marry her, or she's going to tell him she's pregnant, but she can't because John is just worried about the band. It's all about the band for John. Wait, Uh, she's pregnant? I don't know, but she keeps like seeming like she wants to tell him something. Yeah, she wants to tell him. What she wants to tell him is, I want to fuck because I think everybody what she wants in this to tell movie? him that she wants to get married. Well, well I, I, th- I was under the impression that that was his wife. I don't know. I guess I, I, I took so I many think notes. Randy's his movie. girlfriend, but um, either way, this whole movie, everyone breaks off and everybody fucks. <laughs> this is true. Um, so t- one of the band members just married this lady. And so he and she have sex and then Dee Dee, the sexy keyboardist, goes to see Max, the lead guitarist, because they're clearly into each other. But I guess nothing has happened yet. No. Uh, and then uh, I'm, I, I think that I'm making this movie sound like it has more sense than it actually does, or makes more sense. But, but yes, that's that's what happens. So then I don't sti- know. I think you're being mean to the movie. I'm not being. Oh, I might be. I'm. <laughs> The Doug, movie? Says this, Doug says this to me sometimes that I mean and that I need to be nice to him. Do movie, I need to be nice to the movie? The movie is a Canadian bodybuilder who is a rock star writing a movie so that he can fight a giant demon with the power of rock. I mean, but it it the way that we get there uh, is is a more twisted path than than okay. you usually go through. Now you can feel some of the frustration I feel on some of the movies I love and you. Okay, hate. but you're a huge <laughs> anime person, and when we yes. get when we get to the end reveal, like my notes, yeah, <laughs> we have a full on legit anime reveal in this movie. There definitely was an anime reveal and a moment that almost anime like was. Did you think just because you could kill me that I would die? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. I thought that happens. was great. Okay, so so let's 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 get to the moment. So Stiggy and Luann have what can only be described as an extremely satisfying one minute sexual encounter. Uh, <laughs> and then Stiggy goes to the bathroom and he gets attacked by a demon disguised as a sexy lady. Uh, and then when he returns to the bedroom, the demon version of Stiggy gives Luann what she's really been looking for, foreplay. A fucking. 
<laughs> no, he already fucked her. Now he's actually going to pay attention to her. Yeah, but like, uh, uh, like Brad Pitt says in Snatched, right? Like a proper fuck. <laughs> a proper fuck. Proper fuck. But uh, also, I like, I like when one of the one of the band members says, like, um, he says, "Oh, he's you know he's in rare form tonight." This movie, they're all ragging on each other, and and they do dog on each other the way you would expect from a band, and that that is something that Thor draws realistically from life. But also, it it, it was even though they're rock and roll people and they're making fun of each other, it was very wholesome, and it kind of reminded me of the complete opposite of Friends with Kids, which we just watched, which mm-hmm. is everyone is ragging on each other but they're also cynical and, and they're mean. very mean about it in this movie they're pretty nice to each other even yeah. as they're dogging on each other so i thought that that was a very good contrast of like some people can do mean stuff like judd apatow is pretty good at kind of like doing mean ragging on while balancing it out with wholesome ragging on but this this movie had the perfect the perfect amount i thought Yes, it, you know, it, it It had some funny moments. I will give it that uh, because the next day, uh, the newlyweds, I didn't remember their names. I, I got some of the people's names like Max and Dee Dee and John and his girlfriend's name is Randy. Um, but the newlyweds, I had no idea what their names were. And I don't even think anybody said their names. Um, but they get replaced by demons. And I do have to say that I love it in 80s movies when you see the demon's hand turn a boombox on or off. It's just something that's very unique to the time, just like the Walkman in Josie and the Pussycats, a boombox in an 80s movie, and the satisfying punch of the, the stop key is something that's just unique to that decade. Um, but with half the band replaced by demons who, as if you had listened to the last episode, you would know they're always good at music. The recording session goes great. Uh, what did you think of their song? You give me energy. Did it give you energy? Yeah, I thought it was a great song. I, I would put this up there. Like if I was doing a mix of eighties rock hair metal band stuff, like Europe, and foreigner and and i i would i would be happy if these songs came on my spotify playlist or pandora channel radio station these songs fit right in Uh, i don't know if i would go that far but uh next demon stiggy takes luann out to the lake to kill her while max and Didi make passionate love for the first time uh and then we're also forced to and i say that we're forced to endure this maybe you don't think that this is uh, that bad but the shower sex scene between john and randy goes on forever and i will say one thing about this movie maybe it doesn't have the same dp as iron man um but they get something right which is how uncomfortable it is to have sex in the shower yeah also i like how uh, they were showing some boobies around in the movie, but we never saw anything. There were a lot of boobies. We never saw anything below the belt, but the one time we do see below the belt, it's Thor's butt. 
Thor's butt and Thor's big muscular calves. I feel like he did some more squats between the beginning of the movie and the final scene because he knew he had to look good. I, hey, that body doesn't build itself. He has an incredible body. I will give Thor this. He has earned his double titles as Mr. USA and Mr. Canada. (laughs) Um, So then the kid from the beginning of the movie suddenly appears and Max and Dee Dee, they go to find him. And then he turns into a demon and kills them. Meanwhile, the shower sex is still going on. Um, but then later, Johnny's pissed off that the entire band is just gone, uh, and he wants to work. And now that he's done having sex with Randy, he doesn't want to spend time with her, so he goes to the barn to write music. Uh, and Randy is then replaced with a demon, and then this is when the devil confronts John in the form of Randy, and John is unimpressed. John is so unimpressed. This movie is a slow burn for an amazing finale. Because when the demon says, you don't even know who stands before you. And then John Michael Thor's like, fuck yeah, I do. I'm the intercessor. You're Beelzebub, (laughs) also known as Bael, also known as Armagadabin, also known as, and I am... Really, Triton, Archangel sent to destroy you. Like the dialogue completely shifts from cheesy, <laughs> dumb horror movie to galactic, cosmic power rock metal. Like the dialogue does a why complete one eighty. I, I just why couldn't the, the whole movie have this tone? You know, like how Tenacious D and the tone with them against the devil. Uh, yeah, but the Tenacious. tenacious- Tenacious D didn't exist now. That's true. This is a pre-Tenacious rock, so Tenacious D could roll. Okay, okay. I I will give you that one. But I just, it was so weird when the devil confronts him and he's like, I'm going to kill you. And John's like, no, you're not. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, tricked you. All those people were fake. I made them all up. I tricked you into coming here. how? How can he, is it because he is, uh, uh, wait, what is, I wrote it down. Because he's an archangel. Is it because he's the intercessor? So yeah. he's able to create weird people? He creates fake this, people? He creates this world. He creates the, he, he uses rock to create this, this, this ecosystem of sin and temptation. So the devil can come and punish the rock and rollers and then, Thor says, aha, I am Triton, archangel sent to destroy you. Let's rock. That's fucking badass. <laughs> like He drew the devil out into the open yes. with his rock and roll nightmare. <laughs> the, you know, we thought in the beginning that it was the band that was having the rock and roll nightmare. But Satan, the devil, feels above was having the rock and roll nightmare all along. Now, you'd think because the movie itself is called Rock and Roll Nightmare that I would believe that it was going to turn out to all be a dream. But, you know, I give Thor credit. I didn't see it coming. 
And of course I was angry to find out that it was all a dream. You know how much that, you know how much I feel cheated by movies who do that. Um, but I, it was so silly. And also I think that if more movies where it was all a dream ended with a character fighting the devil in a cape and shiny underwear, I would be less mad about those twists. And I have to say, based on the wholesomeness of this movie and the low budget silliness of this movie, this movie isn't like a heavy metal guar movie. That's all about no, the guar. No, no, this is violent. hair metal. He wears a lot of shiny clothes and yeah. he does not care. And he looks good in his uh, makeup and eyeliner. Oh, he looks great. <laughs> um, but yeah, this. I love when, when, when. Randy first comes in and then Randy is revealed to be the devil. And the first thing Thor says is nice effect, Randy. Yeah. (laughs) He's completely unfazed, but um, I forgot what I was saying, but. uh, Oh, so he, he, I I don't know. I'll I'll remember later. Well, so just to, to wrap it up, he, we have John, John revealing to the devil that he is something called the intercessor. Uh, and also that he is a Triton, the arch archangel bub. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the devil and the puppet seem scared, but also a little turned on. Uh, yeah, they weren't expecting this kind of fight. They weren't expecting this kind of fight and they weren't expecting Triton to turn like he does kind of a Sailor Moon thing where he his normal outfit goes away and suddenly he's in moon power makeup and his hair is teased and then he has a shiny cape. He's got his nice, you know, chest. He's been doing some squats between shoots. He's got his Uh, and his his like chain mail, his his chain mail underwear. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, his angel outfit is everything, is what I wrote in my notes. Uh, And then he fights the devil, and the devil actually, he starts off by throwing these tentacle projectiles at him. What did you think of that part? I thought that was was great. When he was throwing the little tentacle starfish monsters. I thought that was great. And here's why. Because, yeah, it's cheesy. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, it's silly. He's dodging these clearly fake things. And, yeah, and then when he's doing the thing where they attack. It's like stress balls were being thrown at him. (laughs) Well, when he's doing the thing where they attack him, he does the thing where, like, you know, when actors have to pretend like an animal is attacking them. So they hold the fake animal to their throat and then just shake it. But... The, the the tentacle monsters couldn't stick to his body because he was too sweaty. <laughs> oh, that was great. Point. That was a great touch. If You know what I mean? If you're going to play with the premise, play with the premise. The fact that he uses his sweaty, muscular body to repel the tentacle monsters. Come on, man. I thought that was great. I also liked that when the devil fell on top of him, he had to bench press him up. Right. It was very functional. Um, Also, when the devil fell on his back, he was basically like a turtle. It was impossible for him to get up again. Yeah, like a cockroach. Um, Yeah, he he was really helpless there. And then I wrote down when uh, in the final 
in the final, uh, what is it? They're, they're grappling. He's got, uh, mm-hmm. John has the devil in a clinch and he starts to choke the devil. And I wrote in my notes, choke me, daddy, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> because the devil is clearly into it. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, the devil forfeits. Yeah. Uh, and he runs away. He want, runs away from the fight. That is true. Yeah. I, I like the ending. I like how it just becomes the song. I like the song. I like the power struggle and how the song reflects the power struggle and how, you know, you've yes. got the typical good guy being attacked and overwhelmed. And then there's a struggle and then he, he finds his inner strength and then there's a little bit more struggle and then he pulls out his ultimate superhero power move and wins. So it's very Power Rangers. It's a very formulaic fight. Yes, but- it sounds it sounds like that like that song that was written for Transformers. It's like very yeah, yeah, upbeat, yeah. very very power positive rock. Very much. Yeah, yeah. I just, there were so many tiny little touches in this movie where it just felt like they knew exactly what kind of movie they were making. They knew their limits. They had fun. At one point when the devil is confronting Thor, he says, you know, prepare to die. And like his head (laughs) shakes and it's, it's so cartoony. It's so silly. I mean, both of these movies that we reviewed are cartoons. So I... Yeah, I had a I just had a blast with it. <laughs> I I did have fun with it. I I will admit that. Like there there have been some movies that I I watched for this podcast where it was hard to sustain my attention, but I think even though I was mean to this movie, <laughs> uh I I was entertained by it and I laughed out loud when uh John Micklethor said, "Nice effect, Randy." <laughs> Uh, and then when he kept calling the devil Bob. Yeah. And it's only 80 minutes. Oh, yeah. You know how I love a short movie. I mean, I will give you, even though I thought that the movie did pack a lot in for 80 minutes, I will give There's you. So many storylines. Yeah. I will give you. The movie does feel a little bit long. <laughs> At a certain point, you do kind of feel like, all right, I, I do kind of get the joke, but. I don't know, man. For a one-time viewing, sit down, watch it with a bunch of friends, grab some beers, throw on some rock. It's a it's a fun movie. I, okay. I yeah. This would be a great movie to have on the background at parties. For sure. Definitely. And yeah, there's little things like with the Coke can when he puts the Coke can on the monster's hand and it's like, ah, and then he bends over to pick up the pencil and the monster jumps and so silly. Very Bugs Bunny. Actually, in fact, he um, is Bugs Bunny. No, actually, I wrote down that he is Kermit. He's the wholesome leader. <laughs> he, he, he tries to protect the other ones from their insecurities. Um, and He's the first one to run into danger and to try to save his friends. And he's a showman and he sings songs. Kermit sings songs. This guy, if the Kermit, if the Muppets were kidnapped and someone had to go like recruit a team of people to save the Muppets, you could recruit John Michael Thor to be on that group to save the Muppets. He would be a great Muppet guy. He is a Muppet. (laughs) He is very much a Muppet. Yeah, so Stiggy I, is animal. Right. I, I liked that they that they had that wholesome Muppet silly energy. Um, 
don't know. I was just endlessly charmed. I I did find it charming, and I I thought that Thor was was very silly and fun, and I mean he has a good sense of humor. Uh, so final thoughts before we ask the question. I don't know if I have any super final thoughts. I just, I just thought that it was a good time. Oh, oh, I'm rolling through my notes. The one thing that I thought was confusing was how long the driving scene was. You know what? I will say though, that I did like the driving scene in a way because I was settling into the movie. I was getting into it and the movie kind of took its time to breathe and say, listen, this is going to be the kind of movie it is. But a lot of the shots were really good and the music was very foreboding. And it was this, we live to rock. Yeah. It was this sense of, fate it was this sense of like they are coming to a place that they cannot escape and their destiny awaits them so the music was very traditional until all of a sudden it broke into a more thor-esque rock and roll type thing um but also i guess i guess the one thing i do want to say to wrap it up is i i liked all the characters in this movie because they felt like they were all very polite people who were raised by polite parents but they just happened to be rock and rollers so it's not yes, like they were none of them up. do drugs or, yeah. or anything bad they're all pretty conservative in fact doing drugs sex drugs and rock and roll is kind of the demonic uh spoof on what rock and rollers are when the um groupies show up and he's like hey show me your tits ladies and they're like no and they run away. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I thought it was very wholesome that they were all just, they were Archie comic characters, but they also were into rock. Um, I loved the Archie connection. We talked about yeah. the Archie connection last episode, but I just want to reiterate <laughs> that we got, we got an Archie reference, which is connected to Josie and the Pussycats, which forever links these movies together in my mind. Yeah, just a, a a fun movie all around. I liked it. Pure energy, pure fun, pure charisma. And again, it's not overly produced. It's not like I think a lot of movies. <laughs> I don't nowadays, think anybody's going to call this overly produced. Well, you know, a lot of movies nowadays. If you watch a movie and it doesn't feel like the, a, it has a certain level of production value, it just immediately becomes like, eh, I'm not really going to take this movie seriously. Like, but I don't know. I just like Hot Rod. Hot Rod has a movie that has a very high production value, but it's not a movie you take seriously. But if Hot Rod were made with the same kind of budget and effects that this movie were made with, it would still work because it's Hot Rod. Hot Rod is Hot Rod. You can't like even if you take away the digital uh, digital short vibe aspect of Hot Rod, you still have the essence of the character who is Hot Rod. But in this movie, yeah, you have the essence of your main character, who is a character who is driven by pure passion, just like Hot Rod. And it's just not, you know, they just don't have the budget. So I thought, I don't know, I thought it was great. 
Oh, one last thing. I learned as I was looking for this movie to watch it that there is a Riff Tracks version. I saw uh, that, yeah. The people who did Mystery Science Theater, they moved on to do Riff Tracks, and this movie has one. I'm very tempted to see it because I feel like you could get some good jokes out of this movie. I don't know. I feel like the movie's already got its own plenty amount of jokes and insight onto its it's it's self-aware and it's got plenty of jokes i don't know the message is clear brett says leave rock and roll nightmare alone yeah don't come after my rock (laughs) all right so who did you have a crush on from this movie i mean i guess i had a crush on pretty much everybody but if i had to pick one specific person i might go i don't know maybe with the little muppet who throws up into people's drinks or whatever and who tries to <laughs> oh, get his hands so cute. the one-eyed just, monster yeah he was just a little minion it, it was the minions before minions it was he does look like a proto minion yeah he was a little he was a little <clears throat> cutie crush I think that's fair. Yeah, it's the it's it's like the green butt ant all over again. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to go for that simple, simple, charming crush. How about you? Is are you the devil? Yeah. I I, thought, I, yeah. I liked. You know, like I said, I thought that the puppets in this movie were great. I think that they did a good job on on the prosthetics, on the physical effects. I don't know if it's a Thanksgiving situation where John Thor also did the props. Um, but whoever did the puppets did an awesome job, and I thought the devil looked great. Well, I also sat through the credits and noticed a lot of the uh, cast members were in the credits as crew, and a lot of the Aww. crew members had multiple roles in the movie. So This would be a great movie for somebody to do a funny making of like a this is like a this is Spinal Tap, but it's like this rock band decides to make a horror movie and yeah. then they make a movie about it. I agree. You could probably actually do like a you could probably do some kind of project green light where you've taken any band that's tried to make a movie based on themselves and then make them fight and whoever gets Whoever wins gets a a Michael Bay-produced mega movie. I could get into that. Yeah. So, remixes. You have said in the previous episode that you had a really tough time with these ones. So, I'm assuming that making this rom-com did not come easily. It did not. I have multiple, multiple pages of like the beginnings of an idea that I crossed out because I was like, I just don't like it. So overall, I am very happy with my idea. It's just not fleshed out in any kind of way, which kind of bums me out. But also, I'm not a musical person, so I don't know how to tie the music themes into the movie themes. I I wouldn't do it justice. Um, Well, give us the elevator pitch. Well, so my movie is called The Edge of Hell because when I started oh. when I started watching this movie, it popped the title card that popped up was yeah, The Edge was of the Hell. Yeah, what was the deal with that? Can you do you have an explanation for that because I was so confused. My only guess is I like 
the easiest way to describe it would probably be uh, death proof. So people would probably be very familiar. People who listen to this podcast are probably familiar with Grindhouse, the double feature by Rodriguez and Tarantino. And Tarantino called his movie Death Proof, but in the original script or version of it, he called it like White Lightning or something. And so then in the Death Proof movie, you can see the title White Lightning pop up for just a split second before it cuts oh. away and then Death Proof comes up. And it's like one of those old grindhousey movies where it's like, <laughs> oops, we just missed two frames of the original title. My guess is John Michael Thor wanted to call this movie The Edge of Hell, but then once whoever distributed it saw it, probably thought, you know, we can get more butts and seats if we call this movie Rock and Roll Nightmare. I'm sure Rock Mm. and Roll High School was already a movie by this point, right? Yeah. And so I I figure it's probably more of a, a, a consumerism decision. I'm sure Wyatt whatever from Josie and the Pussycats had a say in the title of this movie, (laughs) but uh, the edge of hell, that's what I'm going to call the sequel. And in the sequel, we have a character named John and John it's, it's a very distant future. So it's kind of like uh, the anime heavy metal or Mad Max or, you know, it's like dystopian in a way, but it's dystopian in a very heavy metal way. And so we have a character who comes into town and the town, everyone has been turned into statues, right? But the statues, like they're kind of like, that's creepy. They're kind of like gargoyle esque, right? So like at night they worship the demon at the center of town, but then during the day they all go off and they like, you know, they use their hammers to make steel and they use their like they're all slaves who are basically keeping the town alive so that they can produce i don't know metal so that the demon can make heavy metal and take Ah, over more towns right nice literal heavy metal literal heavy metal so it's like uh you know, again, it's very, you know, these these guys look like statues, they're like golems, they're they're rock characters they're 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 kind of lifeless and their eyes are glowing and circular but then john comes into town and he kind of does you know some cool clint eastwood type man with no name type stuff where he's like cooler than everyone else but then once the sun sets this is a rom-com yes (laughs) and so once the sun sets he busts out his boom box and he gets his cassette tape full of you know the power mix or whatever we're going to call the cassette tape and he puts in the cassette tape and when he plays the boom box the spirit of the cassette tape and the spirit of rock comes out and the oh, spirit he's saving the town with rock he's saving the town with rock and the spirit of rock is a woman named ariel and so ariel is like oh, a badass I like that she has a name yeah she's a badass musician and so John summons Ariel and then Ariel fights the demon with the power of rock. And then all of the, the golem rock statue people who are walking around and fighting John and obeying their master, the puppet master, get some Metallica references in there. The Ariel's rock music sheds their rocky skin and they turn back into people and they all overthrow the demon and drive him out of town. That's awesome. 
So now John is warned about another town where the mega demon, right? Like the demon, Beelzebub, Bub, right? That's where he is. And so they're all like, you shouldn't go there. Thank you for saving us. Of course. But you can't go there because he's way too powerful. Too dangerous. Way too powerful. You you can't do it. You you would need the band of whatever, you know, the band of holy enlightenment or whatever we're gonna call it. And so then so then John leaves town and he's kind of like seduced by this character to go into town to save them like he's kind of tricked so in a way he's kind of like dude we can take him but on the other hand he's like all right we shouldn't rush into town and get ahead of ourselves but still he's tricked by one of the demon's minions and he goes into the new town and when he goes into the new town he's he's taken aback by surprise and he has to struggle the demon's minions attack him and he can't get to the boom box what's he gonna do Finally, he gets to the boombox, he summons Ariel, but then the demon does a trick, and he takes away Ariel's voice. (gasps) No! So now, Ariel can't sing to fight the demons, so her and John have to run away, and because she has no voice, we get some cutesy kind of um, silent film, the artist level gimmicks and, and shenanigans. But now they have to go and they have to collect the instruments of the band that will destroy Satan. So they have to go collect the holy microphone, the holy guitar, the holy bass, and the holy drum set, right? Or the holy drumsticks or whatever it is. And so they go and collect all of that. Of course you do, yeah. This is where I would start to combine each element of the instruments with how John and Ariel are going to start you know, doing the romantic part of the romantic Mm -hmm. comedy. But needless to say, at the end, you know, they get their band together. They, they find two other people. They do this, they do that. They get their band together, whatever. And then John, who doesn't play music has to, uh, has to escort them. He's basically like their roadie slash team manager. He escorts the band to the mega fight, the stadium arena. They do rock songs or whatever, but the devil ends up, breaking all of the all of the instruments he does some kind of secret sneaky uh, of devil course trick. he does he's the devil he tricks everyone so the only way to beat the devil is with these instruments that use the power of rock and then the devil destroys them so the whole stadium goes nuts as the devil goes on some sort of heavy metal power thing and he's like guar and he's like he takes it from metal to like screamo metal or something but Guar style, because I'm not super into Screamo stuff, but I do like Guar. They are very silly. But when Ariel is about to be defeated, John uses his power of love to summon the Yay. inner power of rock within him, and he plays the air guitar, and music starts coming from thin air, and he summons That's the, beautiful. He summons the Archangel Triton. So again, this is a sequel. Triton has has been banished away by the devil. Oh. And now Triton is summoned. And if you remember your little mermaid lore, King Triton is the father of Ariel. I could never forget that. So Ariel, who had her voice taken away, now meets back up with her father, who now using the power of rock with her her father and the power of love with John, she's able to get her voice back. And as a team, they're able to banish the devil and they go out on a big song 
And that's the end of the movie. Ah, big song and dance. That's the perfect way to end a romance. So I did a lot of research for this movie because I didn't know who. Well, by research, I mean, I didn't know who Triton was. So I Googled Triton mythology. And then I found out Triton was a moon of uh, uh, one of the moons of Neptune. And then it turns out that Triton is one of the craziest moons in our solar system because basically everything about it is counterintuitive to what we know about celestial moons. Like it does everything it shouldn't do. Right. It's not like other moons. So then I was like, all right, I'm going to work in some of this uh, Triton aspect. And then I was like, oh shit, Triton, Little Mermaid, Ariel, singing, losing your voice. All right. We can, we can make this work. Yeah, no, I think you really made it work. I think that turned out better than I think that you sold it as initially. I just wish that I could have, you know what I mean? I, I wish I could have built up the relationship between Ariel and John and come up with some solid, like, bus pass, three people on your bus pass type visual aids to to move the relationship along. But that's a draft two kind of thing. Yeah, relationships are hard. Yeah. So that's the edge of hell. And John Michael Thor, he's going to make a comeback. He's, he's, he's reviving his role as Triton. Is he still around? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I should probably check. <laughs> um, well, let, let's hope so for him. Yeah, born in 1953. He is now 68 years old. He's ripe for a comeback. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, how about yours? I'm excited to see how yours is going to come out. You know, it, I don't know what it was this week. There's something in the water because unlike usual, I didn't struggle and labor and procrastinate. I actually managed to get my pitches done. Usually, usually I get my pitches done and it's like, all right, we record in 10 minutes. <laughs> that was me this I, week. <laughs> And then I jump on. And then this week, you know, I I took my time. I got done early. It just flowed right out of me, Amadeus style. Uh, So I decided to call mine Rock and Roll High School Reunion. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we begin with John Triton has tricked his band into thinking that they're going to an important VIP gig at a highly coveted venue, when in reality he is taking them back to his hometown for his high school reunion, where without their knowledge he has promised that the band will play. And what the band doesn't know is that Johnny, who seems like this really cool muscular dude, was actually a skinny little dork back in high school who had just one friend, Phil, who grew up to be his manager for the band. So when the band finds out what John has done, they are furious with him for lying to them about the gig, and then there are two people who feel the most betrayed, John's girlfriend Randy and Phil, who vowed to never see anyone from their high school ever again. So he doesn't understand why John wants to prove that John is so great now. And Randy feels threatened because all of John's early songs 
were about his high school crush. And so Randy thinks, well, obviously you're going back to your reunion because you want to show her how great you are now. And how could you disrespect our relationship like this? Um, So John and Phil, they were bullied in school by the jocks. Uh, and then Randy, like I mentioned, she feels threatened by the idea of John seeing his high school crush. And let's say that she's the head cheerleader to really make it dramatic. Sure. Um, and I, I decided her name was Heather because that's just uh, Heather's the head of the Heathers. school. Yeah. Heather's exactly. Uh, so the rest of the band, they're wrapped up in their various dramas that intensify over the course of a single evening. Because I think that this is one of those movies that should just take place in a single evening. Like you open with the band driving to the venue and everybody's all excited about the gig to finding out that they're in the hometown. And just, you know, over the course of one evening, all these shenanigans happen. Uh, so the various side plots, Luann wants Stig to leave John's band so that he can join a different band, you know, one where he'll get paid more and he'll get more exposure. The newlywed couple who I, I still didn't name them. They're pissed that they have to spend their honeymoon at someone's high school reunion, which is like, they canceled their honeymoon for this gig and the gig turns out to be John's high school reunion, I would be pissed. Yeah. Uh, you know what you can do is you can call the the married couple Mr. and Mrs. And Mr. That, and Mrs. Because they're newlyweds. What... So they just are so enamored that they're married. They call each other Mr. and Mrs. They did do that in the movie at one point, but I didn't remember what they actually said to each other. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, we've got Max and Dee Dee who are oh, dealing yeah. with their sexual tension. Uh, so John and Phil's enemies decide to sabotage the band <laughs> by locking Max and Dee Dee in the sports equipment closet. But this is, of course, the perfect setup for Max and Dee Dee to have a sexy forced proximity interaction where they give into their feelings for each other and fuck on the gym mats. Oh, I mean, yeah. eventually, eventually. Um, so then the newlywed couple, meanwhile, they decide that they're going to have fun by pretending to be people from the high school that didn't show up. Like, you know, they do the classic sitcom thing of they grab two name tags and then they just pretend to be those people. And, you know, the comedy can be that they just keep telling increasingly bizarre stories about their fake lives after high school. Like people will go up to them and will, will, say things like, oh, I remember you really loved audiovisual. And then they'll say, yeah. And then I started making porn in college. And yeah, you know, it just it can be totally crazy. Uh, and then in the process of their farcical evening, they realize it doesn't matter where they are for their honeymoon. When they're together, they're having the time of their lives. So that's how that little storyline gets revolved. Obviously, when it comes to plotting, you take all of these stories, put it on a cork board and decide, all right, this is where I want each of these moments to hit. And then you'd flip flop between all the stories at the right moments. Yeah. Um, Now, John, he seems really curious about Heather um, and... Maybe we find out that even though Heather and John never dated because he was the skinny nerd and she was the most popular girl in school, she knew about his songs and maybe he shared his songs with her and she thought that they were nice. 
and maybe Heather did come to the reunion hoping to connect with John. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know kind of what what's going on, but it just leads to John and Randy fighting. And then Phil ends up having a really interesting interaction with Heather uh, where Phil's maybe like, I never got John's interest in you. And he has just no problem telling her this. And maybe Heather is kind of actually attracted to Phil's honesty and the fact that he's just, he's not there to fawn over. He's one of those guys in high school who didn't actually have anything for her. He wasn't, he wasn't one of her followers and she respects that in a man. Uh, so finally the band has to go on stage, but then they can't find Max and Dee Dee. Mm. Uh, so John is in shambles because Randy is upset uh, with him and it feels like he can't fix it. Phil, the newlyweds and John say the same thing at the same time. We need Stiggy. They go to find him. He's arguing with Luann. They tell him the situation and Stiggy calms everyone down in contrast to his normal easy breezy persona in the time of crisis sticky is the one who holds the band together and he assigns phil with making sure the stage is ready while they look for max and Didi. meanwhile max and Didi are fucking (laughs) now that they're both in love with each other and sticky is able to locate the locked sports supply closet when they're rough sexing causes the ball cart to crash. Uh, and then maybe the team, maybe the band makes a joke like finally, uh, you know, it's just a yeah. very, very rom-com sitcom moment. And then the band, they make it to the stage just in time to rock the house down. Heather comes up to Randy after the show and says something like, I thought he'd sing a song about me tonight, but I can see that all his songs are about you now. And Randy makes up with John. Stiggy breaks up with Luann and stays with the band because he's happy with the band. Yeah. Uh, And then also the newlyweds are happy too. Uh, So even Phil winds up in a good position because Heather gives him her number. And John gives him his blessing. So we end on all of them going to the diner and having pancakes together and having fun and laughing. I think that's also, you know, the dance ending is a good ending, but everybody goes to the diner for food is also a good ending in my mind. Yeah. Are you going to go with the uh, animal house? Like, and this is what happens 10 years later to each couple kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, can't hardly wait. Yes, of course. That would be great to have a freeze frame over every character and their fate. Uh, I like and can't hardly wait when Seth Green and Lauren Ambrose break up and then get back together again. And you can have that for John and Randy. (laughs) Like, John and Randy broke up right after this scene and then got together again 15 minutes later. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like a rock and roll high school musical reunion. Yes. So I that one it just felt like an easy an easy way to go and thankfully I will have to give credit where credit's due. Thor gave me the setup. That's right. Eliop slam dunk. 
He made it easy. He was my Scotty Pippen. <laughs> all right. That is all for today. Before we get into our love bites, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look for that stabby little heart. Uh, and then you can also email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Now then, love bites. What would you like to recommend this week, Brett? Well, I've been on a little bit of a Rutger Hauer kick lately. Ah, oh, love Rutger Hauer. Well, mm. I've been watching me some Rutger Hauer movies. You're getting hitched with the hitcher? Oh, yeah. And I got to say, my coworker, because we talk about Asian uh, cinema sometimes. We talk about martial arts movies. So we bring up Zatoichi a lot, right? So Zatoichi. My mom is a huge Zatoichi fan. She has every single movie, every single one. Yeah, Zatoichi is sort of kind of like a Japanese version of James Bond. He's a blind samurai. He goes on various adventures. Also, he's a masseuse. When did James Bond ever offer anybody comfort in the form of a massage? No, not James Bond. (laughs) Uh, James Bond might give someone a foot massage, if you know what I'm saying. But, um, uh, so, so, so anytime we talked about that, we would inevitably make our way around to Blind Fury. Blind Fury is a movie where Rucker Hauer plays a blind guy. He has a sword. He goes on an adventure. So using that as a jumping off point, I was like, shit, this movie actually was like, I mean, it is cheesy. It was made in the eighties, but it's really good, and Rucker Hauer freaking crushes it in the movie. So I was like, you know what? I don't care. Amazon, Rucker Hauer, any movie that's free with him in it, I'll watch it. And then my coworker said, you know what? If you're on a Rucker Hauer kick, you have to watch Wanted, Dead or Alive. And this movie, Wanted, Dead or Alive, is about a. It's it's loosely based on a TV show with Steve McQueen where he plays a bounty hunter, and it has nothing to do with. It's kind of like a. You know how sometimes Tarantino will be like, technically, this character is the great, great, great grandson of this character from this Western TV show. It's the same kind of deal. Uh, so it's it's not based on the TV show, but it's the same idea. Bounty hunter, hunting people, you get it. Uh, this bounty hunter gets hired by the FBI to fight some terrorists. He's got a personal connection with the terrorists, but came out as the same year as like Cobra and right around the same year as Commando. and Ah, uh, so it got lost in the mix, huh? I would put this movie right up there with any other 80s testosterone-driven machismo movie. Uh, I think this movie this is... This is your lane, so I trust you. This movie is phenomenal. <laughs> I instantly fell in love with it. Uh, it's it's not the kind of phenomenal that, that rock and roll nightmare is. <laughs> like, I know I just sang the praises of that movie for an hour, but it this movie is legit like a, a severely overlooked classic. I had never heard of it until now. Never. It was never on my radar. I, nothing. Gene Simmons plays the main bad guy. Uh, Robert Guillaume, who's in Sports Night, he's the main producer of the Sports Night show. He's the older black guy. He plays Benson, if you know the sitcom Benson. Sonia knows all the old sitcoms. So it's got a good cast. The dialogue is really funny. The characters are just 
they're perfectly that subdued amount of 80s action, like gritty action cops hunting the most terrible of terrible bad guys. But Rucker Howard just, I mean, I, I, I had never seen. Was he really hot? He, he is a very extremely hot man. Those uh, ice eyes. He, um, I, I never had really seen him in a bunch of stuff in a concentrated amount of area where I was like, I'm only going to look at his role, right? I'd seen Blade Runner. I'd seen Hobo with a Shotgun. And I saw, there's some other movie that's just on the tip of my tongue that I'm missing. But like, I had seen some of his bigger movies, but I'd never gone down to watch some of the nitty gritty stuff. And now that I am like, I mean, I get it. Rucker Hauer is Rucker Hauer, but now I am officially on board the hype train of like, man, this guy pumps out great performance after great performance. The movies he's in do range from cheesy to really good, but even the so cheesy Lady ones, Hawk is next. I have seen Lady Hawk. I have seen that one. And I'm not into that kind of movie at all. I'm not into medieval fantasy, swords and sandals, magicians type stuff. But Lady Hawk is one of the uh, exceptions to the rule. I did think that that movie was pretty good. Yeah. So Wanted Dead or Alive. It's on Tubi, T-U-B-I. It's on Tubi for free. All you got to do is watch a couple commercials. Nice. Yeah. So how about you? What are you recommending? Well, you know how much I love sticking to a theme. So this week... my theme tie-in is Gene Simmons. Boom. There you go. Oh, he's in Wanted, Dead or Alive? Yep, he plays the main bad guy. Interesting. So very nice. Yeah, I think Gene Simmons has been the bad guy in a couple of movies. Yeah, I saw him in Toronto as the Phantom of the Opera. That must have been an interesting experience. I loved it. I love Phantom of the Opera. I'm not gonna lie. I do. I'm <laughs> I'm also a fan of the Phantom, and I've got big Phantom energy. I'm I'm definitely Team Phantom. Um, so you know, I like to stick to a theme. So this week, I'm recommending one of my favorite rock and roll movies it's a little cult film called ladies and gentlemen the fabulous stains and it stars an incredibly young diane lane and laura dern young 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 they are very young in this movie uh but they are fronting diane lane is the the front man of this girl punk group and they want to get out of their dead-end town and become rock stars. So they very on the spur of the moment get on tour with this punk band. And it's, you know, it's so raw. They can't even play their instruments. They're just, they're still learning how to be real, but their vibe and their energy is infectious. And they already have cultivated a style, which coincidentally not unlike Alexandra Cabot in Josie and the Pussycats, <laughs> the stains dye their hair red and black. I mean, black and white. And then they wear red and black outfits. They wear these red tops and then just black underwear and tights and say, this is how I dress now. 
Uh, and so their whole vibe and their energy as a band is really infectious and aesthetic. And then the movie also features several famous punk musicians and acting roles. We've got Steve Jones and Paul Cook from the Sex Pistols and Paul Simonon from The Clash. Uh, and I think that it's a really good cult film about what it means to be a rocker and also what it means to sell out as well. Uh, there's a very pivotal scene in the movie that I actually borrowed for my remix back in our um, Jennifer's Body episode. So uh, you'll spot it if you watch the movie. That is, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. Awesome. I like that cast. I like uh, Diane Lane and Laura Dern, so I might have to check that out. I have it on DVD. I can loan it to you. Oh, very nice. Uh, download Tubi and watch Wanted Did or Alive. I don't have to give it to you. You can just find it online. There you go. Yes. No, I don't know how easy it is to find, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. And that's, I think, why I bought it. But absolutely, I would gladly let you borrow it. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all for today. Carry on, my wayward sons. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.